Whenever something is said in the church, I think we should make a special effort to try and hear what is said. If it's like a tongue or interpretation, uh, a prophecy, or even a prayer, often it is the Word of God that is bubbling up inside someone, and this is the way that God has said that He would speak to the body of Christ. I appreciate sometimes the music continues. Uh, The person speaking might not be speaking very loudly if they have a quiet voice. Sometimes if they're standing in a certain position and they're facing this way, then everyone behind them is going to struggle because uh, they're not facing the congregation. So can I say, if you want to pray or say something, or you feel that God is wanting to say something, Can you face the majority of the congregation and lift your voice as loud as you can? I've got a loud voice, I suppose I've practiced a long time. Um, But speak loudly because if it's gone and no one hears it, it's a shame because God wants to speak. God spoke this morning. I know the thought might have entered into the hearts of the people because the songs of what we were singing, we sang much about the fire of God consuming and burning that in us that should not be there. That's what a baptism of fire is. And all the five or six people that got up, they said a very similar thing. If Jesus was in the midst of the meeting today and he prayed for you, Would you listen to what he said? Yes? You might have missed the others, but you're not going to miss him. You're going to strain. You're going to say to the musicians, shh, we want to hear what he has to say. We know that if we pray the will of God, God hears and answers our prayer. That's true, isn't it? John said that to us. Is there any doubt that Jesus wouldn't pray the will of God? (laughs) if anyone's going to pray the will of God and get it right it must be Jesus so we must hear we must listen to what he has to say but just because he prays it and he says this is the will of God it won't necessarily come to pass because we have to have faith in what is said And we have to act on what is said. Otherwise, those words are of no effect in our lives. God doesn't make us do things. God speaks to us and he invites us to respond in our hearts to what he's saying. You know, Jesus prayed for the church. Did you know that? He prayed for you. We're going to have a look at that prayer this morning. It's found in John chapter 17, if you want to look there. I'm stuck in a particular passage of the Bible. Do you ever get stuck? You have to keep going back and going back. I've been stuck for a month now. In John chapter 13 to 17. The last time I spoke to you, I preached from that passage when I was at 
Chingford last week I preached from that passage and in the Good Friday service I preached and I'm, I'm there again this morning. It's as though I'm not allowed to move off as God is using that as a place to speak to me. We know those four chapters of John 13 to 17. It's everything that Jesus said and did with the disciples, those 11 apostles, in the Last Supper. It's as though all the five or six hours that, that Jesus spent with his disciples, it's all recorded for us. The things that happened, uh, the washing of the feet, uh, the breaking of the bread, his dialogue with Judas, his dialogue with Peter and how he would let him down. He mentioned about the Holy Spirit coming so they needn't feel they're going to be left alone. He said, a new commandment I leave with you. He spoke about the vine and the branches. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Loads of stuff in that passage. Many, many sermons have been preached on it, I'm sure. And maybe I'm stuck there for a bit longer, I don't know yet. I just seek to respond to what the Spirit of God says. He talks about the grief and the pain and the joy that is awaiting them as they come to establish the foundation of the church. It is their teaching that will be the foundation of the church. And at the end of all this dialogue, four or five or six hours, we don't know how long and everything that took place, before he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and he knows the ordeal that is facing him and he won't be with these disciples anymore, he says, let's pray together. If you have that passage with you, you'll see he prays three prayers. He prays for himself. He prays for his disciples. And then finally he prays for the believers. That's us. 2,000 years ago as Jesus stood in the room, knelt in the room, sat in the room, I don't know, he was with these men and he prayed for you. And I think it's vital that we know what he prayed. And if we put our faith into what he prayed, there is no shadow of doubt that it'll come to pass because he prayed it and he would have prayed the will of God. Daphne, I'm going to lumber you up with the reading of this. I know how you love to read publicly. You usually do a job a little bit better than me. Is this, is this one working? Could I ask Daphne to read the whole of that chapter? There are, there are three, sub, three subheadings. If you could just... I um, haven't got much time. There we go. Well, how much time we got? Lots of time. Lots of time. Everyone say to Daphne, we've got lots of time. Okay, Daphne? So it won't be short. I'm obedient. Okay. So if you could just do these headings when you come to these parts as well. Oh, well. Might be the last time I do this. Can you hear me? Yeah. After Jesus said, Jesus prays for himself. It's not on. Sorry, Daphne. Sorry. Okay. John 17, Jesus prays for himself. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus prays for his disciples. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. 
I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus prays for all believers. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. I think that's the end of the Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus had explained everything to the disciples. Not just in this evening, but throughout his three years of ministry with them. It says that everything that the Father had shown him, explained to him, he explained to them. He held nothing back. He told them everything. He was quite sure that they didn't understand a good lot of it, but a time would come when the Holy Spirit would come into them, the Holy Spirit would open up the truth to them and they would understand what he was talking about. In that sense, his work was finished. His work with them in explaining everything to them and entrusting them with all that he knew, he now had to go to the cross and to finish the work there. But it wasn't with the disciples here. His prayer is that the Father's plan for him and for those 11 men and for us, his prayer would be that the plan of God would be fulfilled. Jesus had become flesh to live in a world with us. Uh, a world of conflict, a world estranged from God. Christ becomes flesh, he comes into the world and he delivers them and now us from what we call the dominion of darkness and he brings us into the dominion of light. Where now we can have fellowship with God. When Christ came, man could not fellowship with God. God 
spoke to man, but man could not speak to God. There was no fellowship. We now have fellowship with God because Christ became flesh. God wants for us now for flesh to ascend into the presence of God. Flesh came into man. Now the flesh of man can enter fully into God. There was a ministry when I was new to ministry 30 years ago. It was a ministry that happened in a place called Chard. Quite a charismatic thing, ahead of its time. Uh, Therefore, much criticised and looked down upon at the time by uh, the more respectable people. There was a guy that ministered in that team. His name was Harry Greenwood. And I just remember him saying this. I, I don't know whether he... It was his phrase, or he coined it from somewhere else. His phrase was like this. The Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men could become the sons of God. We have got to realise that we are not simply recipients of this wonderful thing called salvation, that we have been saved and rescued from a life of destitution and we're very grateful for God and we love him and thank him. All of that is true. But that is only the start. The plan of God is that the sons of men become the sons of God. The prayer that Jesus prayed is that we would enter into a relationship with God. So that the glory that was in the Father and is in the Son is manifested through our lives. The glory of God is seen through the body of Christ. For those that are looking, they see it. For those that aren't looking, they never see it. So the gospel, the gospel that you have received is not simply a gospel of salvation. It is a gospel of the glory of God that he wants to manifest in your life. He prays for his disciples that they will live in that glory. They've got an enormous task on their hands, which is to establish the church of Christ in the world, where there is no church. Where where people are so used to a religious format, so used to the law, the priests, and everything else, they have been given this awesome, awesome responsibility to establish the church of Jesus Christ which is not going to be based on law or priesthood or tradition it's going to be based on the fact that we are the sons of God the glory of God is what God is implanting in us It says that Jesus showed them everything. He exposed them to the glory of God. And now he wants us to realise that the glory of God is what is in us. What What is the glory of God? What does it mean, the glory of God? It is the greatness of God. You look up in different books and read different stuff around it. It's, it's vast what it is. The heavens and the earth, the stars, the moon, life, animals, birds, everything. It, it shows forth the glory of God, the wonderful creativeness 
above everything else. The church is a manifestation of the glory of God. You here this morning is a manifestation of the glory of God. You yourselves are carriers of the glory of God. Something wonderful beyond human understanding and measure resides inside of you. We must realize Of course, when Jesus prays for us, he prays that we might understand this and do what's necessary for the glory of the Lord to be seen in us. There was a a pope. I don't sort of mention popes here or quote them very often, I understand that. there's been good popes and bad popes, don't get me wrong. Just like there are good charismatics and other charismatics. <laughs> this was one of the popes that lived in France, because the popes were in France for a while. And he said this, One of the greatest manifestations of the glory of God is a human being alive with the love of God. Have you worked out what this Christianity thing is all about? I mean, really, really, when it comes to the very basis of everything, we are people who have received within ourselves the glorious love of God. And it is this love that must shine forth from our lives that will show forth the glory of God to the lost. Jesus came and manifested in himself the glory of God. You agree with me? Everything he did, everything he said, everything he was, people just stood in awe and watched. When he prayed for these disciples, he said, this glory that I have, is now in you. You must go forth and minister, show forth the glory of God in all its awe and wonder and splendor. And he said, by the way, for those people who are going to meet at Hope in 2017, I'm praying that you also will have the glory of God within you. And it will be so manifested through your life that people will say, God most surely is alive. And if we don't, the world will not see God. You say, Philip, that's an awesome responsibility. That's what Christ prayed for you. Therefore, it's possible. Therefore, as you mingle that prayer with your faith, it becomes a reality in your life and through your life. A little bit more that he prays for the disciples. He's affirmed them. In those chapters, if you read through 13 to 17, he's constantly encouraged them And he's affirming them. And he says to them, you must carry on the mission that I have started, which is to reveal God to the world. And to reveal the power of the Spirit of God that is in you to the world. I'm talking about the holiness of God. The glory of God is the perfect character. And the purity of his life. The perfect character. And the purity of his life is the glory of God. And that glory is holiness. Being separated 
unto God and living a life of purity that we will touch the world with this glory. If you ever make a determination, I'm going to be a better Christian, can I save you the effort now? <laughs> See, to say you're going to be better than you are, it means that you could change yourself to be better than you are, but you can't. Because if you could, Jesus would not have to have come. Amen. Let's get it planted now. You can't improve yourself, but God can inside of you. So to live a holy, separated, perfect life before God, we must welcome the Holy One into our lives. The Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, the wonderful Holy Spirit into our lives. Just focus on this holiness a little bit longer. See, as Jesus speaks to the disciples in the room that day, they're far from holy. Far from it. They, they're sort of present with God and absent. They are in light and darkness. Remember Jesus spoke to Peter and he said, Peter, who do people say that I am? And they came up with all their answers, Jeremiah or John the Baptist or someone else, something, something. He said, who, who do you say that I am? He said, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. He definitely had a revelation. The light of the gospel of grace and glory had come into him. And of course, Jesus knows that because he says, you didn't work that out. That came by revelation of the Father. As you read on in that passage in Matthew, Jesus is explaining to him he must go to the cross. So Peter now, acting out of his own intelligence, says, oh no Lord, surely not. You've got it wrong here. And what does he say? He says, get behind me, Satan. Mm. See, he was a, a mixture of the presence of God and the absence of God, the light and the darkness, the truth, the chaos, the goodness and the evil, the openness and the closeness. No human being can ever make themselves holy. Not possible. It is only a work of the Spirit of God. We become holy because we allow the Holy One to live inside of us. Do you know what a baptism of fire is? I tell you, it's not nice. We sing about it all the time as though it would be a wonderful, wonderful goosebump experience. Let me tell you, that's not true. <laughs> a baptism of fire is when the fire comes into your life and God puts his finger on something that shouldn't be there and he starts to burn it up. And do you know what happens when, when that happens? We make excuses for ourselves. We block out what he's saying. We run immediately in the other direction. And I can just imagine God thinking, this could be so easy if you just listen to what I said. But we don't. And often we reluctantly go that route again and again and again until he comes for our own good and he rips this thing out of our life. And praise God that he does. Amen. Some of you need to be delivered from some of the relationships that you have because you ain't going to do it. You ain't going to do it. But you need to be delivered from those relationships. Some of you are doing stuff that you know you should not be doing. And I'll tell you something. God is exceedingly patient. But he loves you so much, he won't be that patient. He'll come 
and rip it out of your life. And I pray he does that sooner rather than later. Because we waste precious years of our life doing some real nonsense. They will gradually empty themselves, these disciples, of the darkness that is within them. Doesn't happen in five minutes. Do you know the darkest thing in you? Do you know what it is? It's self. Sorry. We've already been saved from sin. We need to be saved now from ourselves. You are your biggest enemy. It's not your wife, or your husband, or your kids, or your neighbours. You, you, do more harm to you than anyone possibly could. We're focused on self-preservation. Do you want to be happy in life? Careful, you know this is a dodgy question, and I warned you last time, don't answer rhetorical questions in church. What has happiness got to do with anything? If you have dedicated your life to the service of God, to the fellowship of Jesus Christ, don't look for happiness. Because you're looking for the wrong thing. Am I saying, all right, sign up for misery? No, I'm not saying that either. I just said don't look for happiness. Happiness will come. It'll come. You'll have great moments, exciting moments. You'll be thrilled so much with some things, but don't look for it. You know, people get married and it's often said, we hope you'll be happy for the rest of your lives. Oh, come on. How can you let that stuff come out of your mouth? I'm, I'm glad, listen, I'm glad I haven't been happy all of my life. I married a woman who wouldn't let me be happy all of my life. Sent and ordained by God so that I couldn't get away with any rubbish in my life. They were liberated from their sin in their heart. A sin, a sin, I tell you now, that separated them not only from God, but from one another. Let me tell you something. To the degree that you have a relationship with brothers and sisters, can you have a relationship with God? That's it. You cannot have a relationship with God outside of a relationship with the body of Christ. Not possible. If you have nothing to do with Christians from Sunday to Sunday, your relationship with God is zilch. It doesn't exist. It cannot. Because his prayer tells us that. And we'll open this up a little bit later in a minute. This holiness will manifest in them. It will develop in their lives. Can I say holiness is not for the learned and the spiritual. The holiness of God is for everyone. You perhaps need to reread the Sermon on the Mount. The people that were standing before him were the rejects. There were even people from another nation that had heard about him and they had come to listen to what he had said. And we interpret the Sermon on the Mount as if we do this, God will do that. No, he's not saying that at all. He's saying, you rejects, who people despise and no one listens to, you that mourn, you, you that are in a mess. Let me tell you something. The kingdom of God is as much for you as it is for them. And I discovered that prostitutes run into the kingdom faster 
than the teachers of the law. Isn't that amazing? Amen. See, this gospel is not dependent upon intellect or learning. It's depending on us submitting to the will of God. You could be the most wonderful Christian in the world and not be able to read. Your, your, your degrees would be nothing. They don't count with God. Thank God that, you know, we've got something of a brain and we can develop that brain and we can exercise that thing. But that doesn't cut it with God. As they welcome God into themselves, they will gradually become liberated from that which separates them from God and others. I'll tell you something, church. You are separated from your brothers and sisters. <laughs> How do you know? Because I've lived amongst you for years. I know. See, the devil gets you on your own. Isolated. No one goes to your house, do they? No one sits at your dinner table. You're not meeting anyone for social reasons. You don't gather to pray or study the Word of God together. Far too busy. Far too independent. For most of you, I jump from Sunday to Sunday, never ever talk to you, see you. In the 15 years I've been here, the number of people who've come and come to talk things over with me in their lives, I could count them on two hands. Our relationship with one another is appalling. If God did deliver you of something this morning, I pray it would be he delivered you of your life of isolation and separation where you have nothing to do with the body of Christ. Because that's what he wants to deal with. As they start to relate with one another, they start to relate with God. And this life that Jesus wants them to have, it starts to flow in them and through them. They start to know what God knows. They start to love what God loves and they start to welcome into their lives those that Christ welcomes into his life. Jesus prayed for this final accomplishment in humanity where there would be no more division or separation and they would be one with God and each other. Can I suggest to you that holiness is being at one with God and each other? That's it. Jesus prays for all the believers. We weren't there. They were there. He prays for them a special prayer because it's they who have to establish the foundation of the church. He doesn't pray that for us because the church is established. The foundations are set. The teaching of the apostles and the prophets, they're there for us to have now. But we read about everything he said to them. We've read about the washing of the feet. We've read about, this is a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. You go, that's not a new commandment, that's an old commandment. In fact, I could turn to it in Leviticus chapter 19. No, it's a little bit more to that. 
that you love one another as I have loved you. Do you think Jesus distanced himself from the disciples or embraced them? I know your defence. <laughs> Just so busy. I go out early in the morning, I come home late at night, I work all day, I've got my family, I've got these commitments, I've got, I've got, I've got. I understand that. So you just loaded too much onto your life. You have to get rid of some of it. That's it. Because Christ prayed that we would have unity one with another. And we haven't seen the full extent of this yet. We hear about how we... We are to abandon rivalry and competition. We are to serve each other to the point of giving our lives. Who would you give your life for here? Oh, if push came to shove, you might stand and take a bullet. But he means more than that, doesn't he? See, to give your life for someone is to lay your life down for the betterment of them, no matter what it costs you. He's showing them, you see, the full extent of his love. But he goes beyond loving as I have loved. He's praying now at the end of his time with them that they will enter into a greater love to become one with each other just as the Father and the Son are one. Did you hear that? I pray that just as Father, we are one, that they are one with each other. Are you doing that? Can you honestly say that you have a relationship with somebody in this church that is the same as the relationship that God had with the Son. Can you? Don't look at your husband or your wife. That's a completely different relationship. You've got to say, Phil, you're being really mean before you go. Because I'm coming up really short on today's sermon. I really am. I'm coming up short. And I'm really grateful that you are preaching this this morning. Because I've read this prayer thing loads of times. But you are saying things that I never saw. Even when you saw it, you moved on. See, this that I'm talking about now is totally new to us. I didn't realise I had to be as loving as that. I thought I just had to follow Jesus. You know, we sing all this stuff about love. The idea is that this love gets inside of us. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Well, that goes without question. The lo- when we sing these in future and we sing about this love is that that love that is so in me starts to flow out and touch you if it doesn't the love that he's pouring into you is a waste of time because all it does is make you feel good and that's not his intention His intention is that we might be channels for the love of God. An openness and tenderness to one another that flows from a deepening transformation that flows from God. See, I can understand the washing of feet. I can even understand giving one's life. It is a supreme sacrifice. But what is this? The mutual indwelling of God. To love one another as the Father and the Son love each other. 
to be in each other and to dwell in each other. Of course it's about loving God. He's more interested in that we love one another. He says, if you don't love one another, you don't love me. He says, how can you say you love me and that you're not loving your brother? He says, that don't work. He says, your brother you can see, me you can't see. Well, it's a lot easier loving someone I can't see. He says, don't kid yourself. It's only as you love them. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. He wants unity amongst us, yes? That we may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. To be one in that same way, just as Jesus was in the Father and the Father was in the Son, I have to be in you and you have to be in me. Goes on to say, May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. When the full glory of God is manifested in your life, people will see that God is real. I have given them the glory, you, he's given you the glory that you gave me that they may be one. He said it again. This oneness amongst us is what Christ prayed for us. As we are one, they might be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity. We have to come to complete unity, to be one. To let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Let me explain this love to you in the church. This, this love is not a fusion of two people. See, when we marry someone, our lives become fused. We become dependent on each other. That's true, isn't it? I'm 100% dependent on death. I'd starve to death. <laughs> she's 100% dependent on me. She tries to remind me sometimes that she's not, but I know that she is. It's a fusion of lives. That doesn't mean we can't move without each other, but there is a fusion of life that has created a dependency one on another. We're wrapped up in each other's lives. I can't unpick part of my life without picking... Are you telling me to stop? Yeah. Do have I got to stop? No. no. Sorry, Daph, you lose. Okay. I can't unpick my life. I can't do it. Because it affects her. And I don't want to be left alone. And nor does she. Do you understand? Either through desertion, divorce, or death. Now, death is going to hit one of us unless we both conk out together. That's norm not normally the way. But that's a fusion of life. Amongst Christian brothers and sisters, and I will cut it short, Daph. Well, hang on to it then. I want to read to you what it says in 2 Peter chapter 1. From verse 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his glory and goodness. God's desire is to pour his holiness, 
everything he is into you. And it's done. Though He says, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Do you understand that? Inside of you, there is the divine nature of God. It's not you trying to get something from this great high God miles away and here you are a miserable wreck on the earth. His divine nature has entered into us and escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness. This is a let-off clause. Did you get it? It's the last thing. It's the last thing that we're going to get hold of here. As we work through this progressive list, we inevitably come to a place where we live in brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness means we're filled with the divine nature of God. And this divine nature flows through our lives. This is serious stuff. If you're really serious about God, You've got, a bit, you've got to be serious about the person next to you. I mean this. There is no movement in God unless we move first towards one another. That's true. So what does that mean? Ask God, what does it mean? How can I be more loving to my brothers and sisters this week than I was last week? What do I have to do, God? Show me what to do. And then give me the grace and the power of which he prayed for you to have that you might do that thing. You say, is this a new message? (laughs) No, there's nothing new about this message at all. I've just preached it to you in a very severe way. Why? Because I love you. I don't want you to miss out on anything. And I know that if we're not relating well with one another and loving one another and touching one another's lives, we are not going anywhere with God at all. God bless you.